Well, the government doesn't care, and neither do the people that live in your building. So you're going to have to go figure this out. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, sitting here joined by my partner in life and partner on the show, my co-host, Glenn Tate. Hi, Glenn. Hello. Hello, dear. I want the listeners to know right off the bat that while I think this will be an excellent show, that we are not caffeinated. We're doing this in the evening. And when, you know, you're dealing with addicts, I mean, we're not at our best right now because (laughs) we're not on coffee. Um, but we're going to have a great show. And may I, may I give folks an overview of this great show? Absolutely. We are going to talk to Andrew and Ian of the Canadian Prepper podcast and some other things they'll tell you about. And we're going to find out similarities and differences between prepping in the United States and Canada. And this is a, this is a fascinating topic. We were on their show and we talked about the same thing. And I remember kind of feeling more enriched about understanding American preparedness from understanding Canadian stuff. And so it'll be it'll be fascinating. So but before we dive into that, we have a few quick items. What are those shows? So the first thing we always like to talk about is who wishes they had prepped but didn't. Bosnians. Bosnians in the mm-hmm. 90s. Uh, a bunch of them, after that whole huge collapse, got together and put together a list of the top 100 list of things that disappear fastest in a collapse. And this list is on the homepage of our website, prepping2-0.com. This week is number 98, which is, oh gosh, here it is, air guns, BBs, pellets, CO2 cartridges. In other words... Low, small bore. Small bore. Uh, ammunition. Ammunition that's really hard to find in general anyway. So for really, pests. Yeah, for pests and for, you know, sending warning shot. I don't know. I, CO2 cartridges for sure. I can see a lot of uses for that. But get a hold of them. They're saying that you'll need them. So thank you to the Bosnians for that. And um, you can check that out on our website. So real quick, though, I also want to give a quick recognition to one of our sponsors. EMP Shield um, is a great device. You connect it their device to one of your devices typically your home or your car and it protects you and your devices from an emp or a coronal mass ejection yes i did it yes what's really cool even cooler than me remembering that cme acronym and what does that stand for again coronal mass ejection wow okay i, I was did it twice you. i know and i'm not caffeinated wow <laughs> go to our website click on friends and affiliates click on the their logo go to their website whatever you purchase using the coupon code prepping 2.0 you get 50 dollars off which is kind of rocking awesome Exactly. Well, lurkers. Come out of the shadows, lurkers. Come out of the shadows. You might be a lurker, and that's someone who listens to the regular show and wonders about the awesomeness that happens in the after show, which is available exclusively to Patreon supporters. Two bucks a month is all it takes to get out of the shadows and into the awesomeness of the after show and a bunch of other exclusive stuff for uh, Patreons. Sign up at uh, prepping2-0.com at the big orange button that says support us on Patreon on the homepage. And we have another announcement, and that is Fanfare 
Pam Radio. Pam Radio, P A M radio, and that stands for Prepper Amateur Radio instead of Ham Radio. These are the electronic flashcards that are available at Pam radio.com. Pam radio.com. We've been talking about them. No need to belabor the point, but these are the things that in about 45 minutes, preppers will know all the practical stuff they need to know about ham radio. It's not a ham radio test prep. It's not Morse code. It's not complicated. There are no equations. It's no not, geek stuff. It's not how to set up your entire basement to look like it like, shouldn't. Exactly. <laughs> so it's not that. It's just the practical stuff. So very cool. So another sponsor you want to give a quick shout out to is Numana Foods. They deal in uh, freeze-dried mass production, like mass amounts, not a single serving quantity of freeze-dried food. They are awesome. Uh, Go check them out at our website at prepping2-0.com. What's really cool, especially in times like these when people are kind of doing some extra stocking up, if you use the coupon code PREP, lowercase P-R-E-P, at checkout, you get ten percent off, and it's great. They are great. They're a great company. We've had um, their CEO on as a guest before, mm-hmm. and one of the more inspiring guests that we've had. Just amazing, amazing person. And uh, yeah, check him out. Great company. Let's get to it. And that would be our guests. That's what everybody's listening for. Exactly. They don't care about us. They want to hear. They want to hear from Canadians because they're they're kind of mythical creatures. So uh, I wanted to uh, let you know that Andrew and Ian, and they'll just go by their first names, they are co-hosts of the Canadian Prepper podcast. And uh, welcome, welcome, gentlemen. Come on, come on and uh, tell us stuff. Yeah, say hello to the folks. Thank you so much for having us on. Uh, This is Andrew, and I want to thank Glenn for coming on our recent episode that we did on Canadian Patriot podcast. It was great having him on as a guest, and it's great to be on with with you guys tonight yeah and if you are hearing that and you're saying wait canadian patriot podcast i I thought he said that they were on the canadian prepper podcast they're on the bofob that's how we talk down here in the united states the bofob no that's actually how glenn talks but it's glenn speaks so you'll get used to it just keep going canadian prepper (laughs) podcast canadian patriot podcast two different things well shelby has some questions for you shall we get right into the questions we have someone else on the line there too. i'm so sorry i'm so sorry ian no worries. I'm here as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Andrew and myself, we actually uh, basically do double duty on two podcasts. And so we do one on Sunday night evenings and one on Monday evenings. And uh, yeah, we kind of flip flop between the two. That's how I discovered these guys. I was I was watching the YouTube version of the of these podcasts, and I just I just thought it was really fun and cool. So uh, Shelby has some questions yeah. for you. So um one of the first things I think is just kind of a no-brainer question, but I think it's one of those people forget to ask, and I don't want to forget. So, guys, what do Canadians prep for? What is, like, the thing on your mind that you worry the most about, I guess? Do you want to go uh, west coast to east coast there, Ian? Ian and I are on opposite sides of the country. Ooh, that's so like, we ooh, now we're going to get regional. different concerns. We all know the west yeah, coast yeah. is better, so let's start with the west coast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Ooh, ouch. Shots fired. Okay, that's from, I mean, I think most Canadians are on the same wavelength as Americans. We prep for life in general, which can be anything from extreme climate to earthquakes, forest fires, wildlife interactions, even something as simple as being stuck in traffic. So I don't think our, our preparation goals are any different than Americans, but uh, we do have a couple of things that are a little different. The fact that uh, it's pretty much taboo to talk about prepping to uh, fight against a tyrannical government. If you start mentioning 
you know, how you're going to stand up to the man and everything else. Before not long here, you could get a knock at the door versus down there at the freedom of speech is more entrenched, you think. Hmm. So you're going to have your normal natural disasters. Yeah, I mean, that, that. well, I guess you guys don't have a lot of hurricanes uh, uh, up there, right? Up in the great white north. Less hurricanes, although we do get affected from them in my side of the country. Uh, on the East Coast, they do make them make as far up when you get into Boston and New York and those mm-hmm. parts of the U.S. getting to have issues. We we get to see them here on the East Coast in Canada and even in uh, into more of the central part of the country where I am. Mm-hmm. No tornadoes. As well. Oh, sorry, on the West Coast as well, you can definitely get the, what we call the Pineapple Express, which is kind of the leftover ones coming off the Pacific and... Uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the, the rainstorms that do come in and create a, a torrential rain for a few days. Well, and since since Vancouver, being by far the biggest population center on the west coast of Canada, is on the western Pacific shores, you're going to have the same earthquake concerns that California basically does. Is that right, Ian? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, San Andreas Fault actually stretches all the way up into the Pacific, and where it enters the water, they start calling it the Cascadia Fault, as you guys know. And uh, the Cascadia Fault is actually on the west coast of Vancouver Island, which is actually where I live. So, yeah, it's certainly one thing that's on the forefront of my mind. Well, one of the things that I just, uh, if I can jump in, speaking of West Coast, Canadian West Coast, I remember a few years ago, and we're speaking as Glenn and I on the west coast of of Washington State, we were breathing y'all smoke. Yeah. you guys were on fire. Major Horrible sh- wildfires heard, in British yeah. Columbia. We actually had the same thing for you guys this year as well. We had <laughs> uh, so. yes. can thank Antifa for that. Yeah, that, yeah there you go. So, yeah. so it's like, so it's very much similar. It's you're preparing for what, you know, catastrophe, whether it be whatever that is, small, medium, large, natural, whatever. Um, so, and I'm going to, I'm going to come back to you later and ask you about the knock on your door because I have a question I, that brings up a lot of questions I think people need to be aware of especially as we watch what we're seeing in our news and um, what though gentlemen what are Canadian gun laws like I think I'm very curious about this better than yeah. New York probably better than California not as good as Texas Okay. Our firearms are federally regulated so it's the same for the entire country we don't have state by state exemptions Almost. We have uh, we actually have small differences in the province of Quebec, which is our French-speaking uh, province, mm-hmm. and they're the only province that still has registration for what we, we would you know, consider just to be long guns. Uh, we actually have three different classes of firearms up here, uh, what they call restricted, non-restricted, and prohibited, and the uh, non-restricted normally would not be tracked as far as sales and registrations go for now, uh, but in Quebec, they definitely have a registration in place. So what's it, what would be... Oh, go ahead. Ian brings up a good point with the uh, the classification system that we have. Um, not unlike in the U.S., where you have your your ATF regulations, we have we have classifications based on technical characteristics and or what the government makes up. <laughs> Prohibited is anything that we're just straight up not allowed to have. Um, mostly based on technical criteria. Very very small pistols. Uh, they're all lengths of less than four inches. Uh, fully automatic machine guns. There's some other prohibited things that we can't have. Uh, restricted, anything the government says is restricted or is a handgun, uh, as long as it is not a prohibited handgun. So it has to have a barrel of greater than, I believe the number is 4.2 something inches. Uh, of course, we measure everything in metric, but I won't tell you how many hundred millimeters that is because <laughs> no one will know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we have some other firearms that are restricted by name or were restricted by name. These are things that were like AR 15s or. Uh, 
certain other semi certain types of other semi-automatic rifles or occasionally other firearms uh they're treated like pistols we have to have a effectively a license for a pistol take a class do the do the test and then have it registered and it can only be taken to an approved government approved shooting range and then we have everything else and that's all of your normal rifles and shotguns that you would use for hunting and like you mentioned with the non-restricted class Outside of Quebec, there's no registration or tracking. You do have to have a license that you show when you purchase it. And then there's some storage regulations and transport regulations that we have to use. But you can go out and you can hunt with it and you can use it on Crown land or private property. It doesn't have to be at a government-approved shooting range. Those are sort of the three three big criteria. The one thing that I'll add on with that is I mentioned AR-15s were non-restricted, or I'm sorry, were restricted. Uh, as of May of last year, AR-15s, along with many, many other fun semi-automatic rifles and certain other types of rifles, 50 caliber rifles, um, bazookas, anti-tank rockets, I'm not even kidding that really they wrote the law, anything bigger than 20 millimeters is now prohibited, hmm. uh, along with AR-15s, uh, SIG 550 rifles, the Swiss Arms series of rifles, certain other firearms that the government found uh, offensive in some way. Goodness. Yeah, I think the big, yeah, the big thing to remember here with us is it's a, a right. Uh, it's not a right for us. Like you guys have an entrenched right in your constitution. Ours is a privilege, which is what happens when you're subject versus citizens. And uh, like Andrew did mention, it's different uh, state by state. Down for you, it's federal for us. But for, importantly for us, our actually firearm licenses are citizenship or residence based. So actually, you guys could come up technically go through the course, write the exam and get a Canadian firearms license, which allows you the same rates as any other Canadian, regardless of where you live or what citizenship you hold. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I have a question about Canadian gun laws, and what are some firearms, some cool firearms that are available to Canadians that Americans would be surprised are still available and are still kind of cool firearms? What what are some of those? And I think the list got shorter after May of uh, 2020. The list definitely got neutered because uh, we used to be able to get uh, a lot of a lot of semi-automatic firearms from all over the world that were, you know, modern magazine-fed AR-15 type or competitor rifles that we couldn't that we we're, we're now stuck with them being prohibited and we can still have them. But we can't do anything with them. We did have access to the Chinese market, which allowed us to have all kinds of things that were harder to come by in the U.S., like SKSs here are basically a dime a dozen because we don't have any trade embargoes with China. Hmm. But now they're prohibited. Uh, SKSs are still non-restricted, so you can take it out in the bush and in theory hunt with it or more likely shoot targets because I don't know if you want to do a lot of shooting with 762 by 39 (laughs) into an animal that probably isn't a great caliber for sporting purposes. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's a great example. SKSs are okay in Canada, and I think that's going to surprise a lot of listeners because, and I fell into this camp too, I just kind of wrote off Canada as a gun-free zone, and then uh, and I was on your show, and you guys, you know, educated me, and I remember thinking, wow, there's some actually some okay guns. By the way, it's not okay what they're doing, in my opinion, and all that, so I'm not saying Canadian gun control is awesome. It's just not as horrible as you might think. So here's a question. No, no. Oh no! Go ahead. It's, it's horrible. On top of the uh, Russian, uh, on top of the Russian guns and ammo access, as well as Chinese uh, access that we have, we actually, interestingly enough, have uh, no issue getting short-barreled shotguns. 
uh, or short barrel rifles uh, to a point uh, to provide the needed overall length requirements. And there's no 16 inch restriction on like uh, repeating arms or shotguns or anything else. You can buy right from the, the factory online. Uh, we can also do person to person sales online uh, without having to go through an FFL at all. So if I wow. want to sell a gun to Ian, I can just validate that he has a current firearms license and I can put my gun in the mail and mail it to him because that's how we do gun sales in Canada. <laughs> wow. This is crazy. I mean, maybe the American setup's crazy, but what you're describing is so different than America. The listeners, the American listeners are saying, holy smokes, this is crazy. You mean I can get, can you get an SKS in the mail? Absolutely. Um, we effectively get a background check run every day by holding a valid Canadian firearms license. So we don't have to do a time of sale background check like you do in the U.S. I think it's a, what, like a form 4410 or something to that effect? 4473? Mm-hmm. 4473. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you when you go to an FFL, you have to do your background check and it goes through your, your instant, instant background check. Ours is just run every single day. By virtue of us having firearms licenses, and if we ever did anything that the Crown found uh, questionable, the local constabulary would come and relieve us of our firearms. Yeah, that's the difference between uh, being a subject and a citizen. Yep. So take, let me ask this and go in a slightly different direction here. So and I haven't heard you mention this in so far, but can someone do what we call in America concealed carry? Can I carry... Uh, not a lawful firearm, so fire. a pistol more than four point two five inches or whatever. And can I do that, or do I need a license, or is that not is that prohibited? What are, what is that like? Uh, unfortunately, well, every gun law in Canada starts with yes, but. <laughs> okay, okay, yes, <laughs> but. What okay. means by that is basically that our Firearms Act specifically says that there is a mechanism to enable that, which is called authorization to carry or an ATC. However, there's actually been some. Access to information requests to see how many people actually have valid ATCs. I think the last result was one person in Canada was issued one. So <laughs> out of a country of basically 40 million, there are 37 million right now. Uh, we have one person that has a concealed carry license. So it's something so, that you yeah, can on ask. Paper, mm-hmm, go ahead. On, on paper, you can definitely ask for it and apply for it, and there is a, a fee involved, and you need to demonstrate a need. But it's up to the Crown to make a decision as to whether or not you'll actually be authorized to carry a firearm for some reason. Uh, As you as a private citizen, it is most likely going to be denied without any further input or explanation from the government. There are other opportunities to receive other types of authorizations to carry. Uh, For example, armed car car, uh, security guards. So if you're transporting cash or valuables. Um, armored car guards get ATCs for work, even though they're private businesses. You can also get wilderness carry ATCs for if you are in mining or uh, trap line work or outdoors type stuff. So it is possible to carry a pistol for defense from uh, wildlife, but not of the two-legged downtown Toronto variety. <laughs> Wow, I'm just I have so many questions. I'm going to I'm going to keep my thoughts to myself cuz I want to just hear about Canada. Okay, so next question we have yeah, we have a good handful of minutes here. Um is there a strong or weak patriot community in Canada? Uh, well, I would say it's almost uh, taboo currently in society to say the word patriot because it tends to be tied to like negative connotations in the press. Um, it's almost like non-existence in our culture compared to the states, simply the fact that basically if you 
we're going to describe somebody as a great patriot uh, or something like that, that's a compliment down the States, whereas you would never actually say that sentence in Canada without coming off as a little bit odd. And, for example, like, you know, you cross the border for us, and we notice that the American flags are hanging from a lot of houses, a lot of buildings, you know, displayed in trucks, everything else, whereas it's very hard to find a Canadian flag flying almost anywhere other than government building. Hmm. Or the Olympics. I see them a lot in the Olympics. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's a difference. Olympics, what are those? We don't know after COVID. <laughs> so what, I'm going to ask a little bit drill down question here related to that. What it, What is, when, to me, when I hear the word patriot, I, you know, I think John Revere, or excuse me, Paul Revere. Yes, I'm not caffeinated. I think, you know, American Revolution. What, and so I, I, to me, it's a very American name. What is, what is a Canadian patriot? What is that? How is that different in the same maybe? I think we have a very different set of founding principles in this country. So our, our strong patriotic figures are more to do with our World War One and World War Two war mm. heroes and some of our early politicians, people like Johnny MacDonald, uh, one of our first prime ministers, he's on a bunch of our money because they did things like tied the country together through the railway system and, and giving us that transnational means of communication and shipment of goods. We don't have... We don't have like a Paul Revere type figure or a revolutionary figures mm-hmm. the same way because our country was not founded by violently removing the British. We we politely asked if we could do a little bit more by ourselves, and eventually they they agreed to that. We don't have the same type of figures as a result, but we do have we do have our war heroes, and we do have uh, Canadians that are looked at as as great Canadians, but not in necessarily the same patriotic terms as, as American patriots, revolutionary patriots, people like uh, Banting and Best that discovered insulin, uh, Alexander Graham Bell with the telephone. These are, these are great Canadians, but they're not necessarily great Canadians because of something they did to make Canada great. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't like having telephones or insulin, but those are not uniquely a Canadian thing the same way as like your Bill of Rights, for example. Yeah. Interesting. I'm glad I asked that because I'm glad there's that, there's that differentiation. So before we go into our break, um, I want to mention one, another one of our great and new uh, sponsors, Jared Savick. Or, am I saying, yeah, Jared Savick. I'm sorry. I'm not caffeinated. I know. Oh, my goodness. I can tell. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm not any better. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're both. So We're both Andrew and Ian, today. you're carrying the boat here. That's right. Canada is carrying the load. <laughs> you're carrying the Americans on your back, eh? So uh, anyway. Uh, just there you go. <laughs> So Jared is a great, we had him on recently, a uh, realtor in the Kalispell, Montana area. He uh, and his wife, lovely wife are preppers themselves. And they have a good idea of what makes a good prepper property, whether you want a turnkey property or to build your own retreat. Uh, if you have a property in Kalispell, you're interested in town, out of town, way out of town. Um, they are your realtor of choice please check them out at seize the day mt.com so think seize the day montana and find their contact information there tell them shelby and glenn sent you and uh real quick before i want to let people know we're going to talk about it on the other side of the um break because i want to get more into preparedness we've talked quite a bit mm-hmm. about uh firearms law and i and it's we're gonna have a great after show let me just put it that way because i have so many questions i want to ask them but 
A great question. I think as we go more and more into kind of unrest here on the American side, the question I want to ask them, and they're going to tell us, is are Canadians more or less likely than Americans to be nice to their neighbors in a crisis? Hmm. Cogitate on that for a minute and meet us on the other side of the break. More Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for come and take it, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself and save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times, the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love new mana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Looking to meet other like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own prepper group? Already have a group? Join PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet has gathered the biggest names in the industry to help unite preppers everywhere. Join John Jacob Schmidt, Scott Hunt, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, Glenn Tate, Shelby Gallagher, Charlie Hogwood, Samuel Culper, Survivor Jane, Rick Austin, Franklin Horton, Ryan Mitchell, and Brian Duff. Our team is united. Check us out at PrepperNet. Prepper.com. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. PrepperNet.com. Abe Lincoln here. In 1773, patriots broke the chains of British tyranny by throwing tea into Boston Harbor. On that day, Americans began drinking coffee. We celebrate that event daily here at Minutemen Coffee. All men are created equal. <laughs> coffee is not. Minutemen Coffee is roasted to perfection in small batches. Bold, smooth, and never bitter. Shipped to you fresh daily. Whole bean, ground, or our patented pods. www.minutemencoffee.com. 
Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Welcome back, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over at Prepping 2.0. We've been talking with Andrew and Ian from Canadian Prepper Podcast. Um, we kind of left you off with the question. I'm going to pose it to the gentleman. Hey, gentlemen, are Canadians more or less likely to, than Americans to be nice to their neighbors in a crisis? Hmm. I say nice naturally. What kind of Canadians would we be if we weren't nice? Yeah, I'm going to start by apologizing. Yeah. And I'm sorry that you think we wouldn't be nice. Tell the joke about stepping on shoes, guys, because this is a great joke. Is, it oh, says yeah. a lot about Canadians. By the way, I grew up just south of the Canadian border, and I watched Canadian TV as a kid instead of American TV back when there were antennas and stuff. And so I feel functionally Canadian. And this joke makes me laugh really hard because it's so true. So tell the joke about the shoes. So how do you get a Canadian to apologize to you? You step on his toe. <laughs> exactly. Jeez. So Canadians Ooh, are nice. About that, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Canadians are nice. Do you think that would have an effect if there's a crisis? Do you think the niceness it would be so ingrained or so habitual that it would make people nicer to each other? Or do you think that after a period of time, Canadians would become vicious like every other human being on the planet, become vicious and selfish. I mean, or somewhere in between, because I'm fascinated by this. Well, I'll start on the West Coast here again. Uh, honestly, on the micro level, for example, with our extreme climate, if your car's stuck on the side of the road, you can guarantee the next person coming along on a, on a desert country road is going to stop and help you. That's this is a given. It's a cultural thing. You would never just drive by somebody stuck and just you know wave them off or anything else. Uh, on the macro level, for an example, during an emergency, we could look at the uh, 9-11, uh, what happened when uh, people were basically getting diverted from away from New York, because, or away from North American airspace, for that matter. We had a bunch of uh, planes stop in uh, what we call the east coast of Newfoundland, and little small little towns that maybe had a population of two or 3,000 people were welcoming in two to 3,000 passengers uh, off of airplanes. And without hesitation, most Canadians just opened up their houses and say, hey, strangers, come on in. And they actually let people stay there for a couple of weeks until things were sorted out. So, you know, as a as a snapshot, that's just a prime example of how Canadians can just instantly help people in need. Um, in a long-term crisis, I don't think uh, Canadians are immune to, uh, you know, I won't say selfish behavior, but self-preservation behavior. Uh, but, you know, it's, it remains to be seen, I guess. Yeah, let's hope we never have to find out. So, okay, so along those lines, um, and we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, and, and we can expand on it. So are, ca- are Canadians open to prepping in general, or is it stigmatized? Like, it, it, I think it used to be sig- stigmatized here in America until COVID, and now it's a little bit more like, hmm, maybe it's acceptable. A good, it's acceptable. So what are your thoughts? I'd say that's that's very heavily stigmatized, and Ian and I are probably both poor benchmarks of this because we are in the prepping communities. I mean, we, we go on a podcast about prepping and every week without fail, it seems, me less so. But that's not the norm. But, I mean, the vast majority of Canadians are very heavily urbanized and very dependent on our, our socialized government services. I mean, much like in any major urban center anywhere in the world, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk, talk think, to uh, somebody. Go ahead, go ahead guys. I was talking to somebody from a place like Toronto or Vancouver about prepping is probably going to get you looked at like you have a third head talking to somebody that lives in rural northern Alberta about how many cans of peaches they put up over the 
the summer is not going to be a surprising topic. And that's what I was going to ask about. Is this one of these things, and this is true in the States to some degree, where the term prepping might be odd, but people that live in, um, well, Montana, you know, uh, you know, Kalispell, Montana, we were just right. talking about Jared Sabic. They don't call themselves preppers. It's just that they have a peach tree, and in the summer they can their peaches, and why wouldn't you? In other words, and, and also, by the way, I have friends uh, in Utah who are members of the LDS Church, and they don't call it prepping. They call it Tuesday. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like another day of the week, and they just do stuff. So, is, and, and you hit on that in some rural parts. And by the way, from what I can tell, Alberta is you know pretty close to Texas when it comes to being – rural and country and conservative um uh but anyway so it sounds like it's it's the rural or the rural is one set of values and then but here's the thing about canada my impression is and correct me if i'm wrong guys a vast a vastly higher percentage of people in canada live in urban and suburban areas as opposed to the united states um, the the majority of our population lives within a few hours drive of the U.S. border, mostly on the eastern side, southern Ontario, parts of Quebec, and in, into the east coast and the Maritimes. And then we have a huge population center in Vancouver uh, on the west coast there. But the the middle of the country, uh, northern Quebec, northern Ontario, and all the prairies, there's the population density is approaching zero. Wow. Yeah, for example, example, I grew up in uh, rural Alberta as well, uh, more of a frontier mentality there. But, I mean, literally behind my house, the push started and didn't end until the Rocky Mountains. There's literally nobody behind us for, you know, 50, 60 miles. Uh, currently, where I live on the West Coast, there is literally nothing behind me until the other side of Vancouver Island, which is probably a 60-mile island wide. Um, so there is a, a, a lot more frontier mentality and, and population sparseness uh, outside of the urban centers. Goodness, that's that's so interesting to hear. So, so yeah, there's definitely the urban-rural kind of rift, but there's also, it's interesting, yeah. Okay, so, uh, do you think Americans would spill over into Canada in a crisis? Well, we already see that in places like Roxham Road. We have refugees coming from America on a daily basis. How many of them are from Hollywood? No, don't answer that question. Well, Go ahead. <laughs> How, how you define what they are and where they're from is maybe different different sets of problems. Because mm. if we're talking about American-Americans, people people born in the U.S. that hold U.S. passports, I, I don't see them coming here for refugee staff all the time, despite our whole safe third country act. We seem to have a lot of people that have traveled to America and then have decided to travel further to Canada. Hmm. Um, I, I do remember what... Better benefits. As you said, do... Yeah, I do remember a lot of people threatened to move to Canada when uh, Donald Trump was elected originally, but I think a lot of these celebrities had their accounts talk to them and uh, probably talk them out of it based on our taxation rates alone. So. <laughs> funny, funny how that's a thing. You know, I have a question for you guys. What made each one of you prep? Well, I guess I'll start with myself. Uh, basically, it started off with my, uh, I guess, I'm a child of the Cold War, which is... Uh, I guess uh, it's indicative of my age. So, I mean, we were laughing about uh, what got us into prepping on our 100th episode like, a couple weeks ago. And I mentioned the movie Red Dawn as a bit of a tongue-in-cheek book joke, but also not. <laughs> it didn't take long back then for the paranoia to ramp up. But uh, for myself personally, I got involved with uh, basically small bush operations operations as a uh, pilot up in northern Canada. And basically I was always faced with the what-ifs if I had to put it down in the uh, 
put him out to the wilderness in the high Arctic. Um, so I was always kind of worried about that. Uh, kind of came on to the giant power outage we had on the east coast of Canada for a while there in 2003. I was living out there at the time and got affected by that. And then, of course, uh, becoming a dad. I mean, uh, once you have to provide for a family, that's an issue. And then, uh, of course, as I get older, I get a little more educated in history. And then you realize that, uh, you know, we've been living in a time of unprecedented access and government overreach is a thing. So preparedness should come naturally to most people, I would think. Hmm. What about you, Andrew? I have a slightly different journey for me. And I... uh, I was very briefly in our military and everything was provided to me and I thought that was that was wonderful because I didn't really have to worry about where my next meal is coming from or where to get clothing or any, anything like that. And as soon as I got out of the military and went into the civilian life, I very quickly discovered that no one is coming and every, you're up, it's all on you. you got to figure it all out by yourself. And then having lived in Toronto, going to university and Living through a snowstorm, one of our great ice storms that shut the city of Toronto down, and they called out the uh, the army, uh, the reserve units, because no one could get anywhere. I'm so far down the list of priorities of things that they care about. No one is ever coming to save me. Yeah. So it was like, well, that 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 is a wake up call for a 20 year old person to be like, well, the government doesn't care, and neither do the people that live in your building. So you're going to have to go figure this out. And then, to Ian's point as you get a family and other people that you're responsible for, I mean, I don't want to be that dad that can't feed his kid. Mm-hmm. So we've made a significant amount of effort to to make sure that we're not burdening anyone and we're not relying on the government to come and save us because they're not coming. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my kid to go hungry. Awesome. Well, and one quick point. I know um, Glenn over here has a question, but that goes to what I say all the time on this show. You are your first priority. You are not the first priority of the government. And if you're looking for, in a crisis, who's going to help you the most and have your best interest, you and your family's best interest at heart, it is not the government, it is you. You care more about you and your family and who lives under your roof more than anyone else. So you should be prepped. So, Glenn, you have some thoughts. Yeah, and that's a great segue into this. Um, In the United States, we have FEMA, we have local and state emergency management agencies i don't know what percentage of government spending you know goes to them but it seems not very robust i mean it seems like a small sort of afterthought what is your sense guys of how big uh governmental emergency management staffing agency budgets and all that is in canada is it is it an afterthought or is it something given that the canadian government is large and provides a lot of stuff for people. Um, do they get a lot of emergency management services for their seventy percent taxes or whatever they are? <laughs> well, you're not far off on that. Uh, honestly, I, it's still a sparse uh, item on their to-do list, really. Uh, as far as they're concerned, I mean, they, the government itself says that we should uh, be prepared for at least a, a week before they actually can expect that government intervention and help. But as we all know, government is not that efficient in general. So I don't think to be there and feeding people in a week in any emergency. So that is not even a big thing here at all. And I think we actually made an entire podcast about it on Andrews. They were originally with Canadian Patriot Podcast about the inefficiencies of government. Yeah, oh, absolutely. What are your What are your thoughts? Well, just the same as Ian's. Okay. Or the the government's. I wouldn't even think that they put thought into it. Not that we don't have emergency management people and not that there aren't 
I mean, we know some people in emergency services, not that they're not good people or not that they don't care as an individual, but as a, as an organization, it's not staffed to the level. There's no surge capacity. I mean, even our healthcare system, we have no surge capacity Mm -hmm. and that's a normal, that's a normal Monday. That's not anything special. So if we have a, well, I don't know, a pandemic, we have no capacity to deal with any of that. The, the, the government is not invested into anything like that. Anytime that we have a major ice storm in my part of the country, a major snowstorm, they call out the Army Reserve and they drive around in uh, armored vehicles in Toronto because they can't drive ambulances, so they use armored vehicles as, as an ambulance service. And they have troops dig the city out. And if you're lucky and you live in downtown Toronto, I mean, I guess they're going to come and make sure you get your groceries and you can get out of your, your condo. But if you live in rural southern Ontario where I am, there's, I mean, we might have like the local volunteer fire department, but they're busy being the volunteer fire department. They're not coming to shovel your driveway. Yeah. So you're on your own and paying 70% in taxes. That kind of sucks. <laughs> it's not the greatest feeling in the world. Right. No. Well, real quick. On that note, I want to mention one of our great sponsors, Backwoods Home Magazine, is very applicable no matter what side of the border you live on. Uh, Their articles speak to all of the things we're talking about today. Um, If you go to, again, go to our website uh, and click on Friends and Affiliates, Backwoods Home Magazine, great resource. We keep every one of our... Editions, coffee table. table, We read it. um, We soak up knowledge from that. Use the digit six o f f six off at checkout and get six dollars off your subscription. Another good, awesome, awesome, awesome sponsor of ours, and I'm really missing them right now. Yeah, Miniman Coffee, great folks over there, um, who make an awesome blend of our coffee called the I Miss America blend, specifically for us. So I don't want to brag, Andrew and Ian, but we do have our own coffee. Coffee, so yeah, that's pretty cool. That's so, kind of I mean, cool do you guys have your own coffee? I mean, it's just asking. Have you heard of Tim Hortons? Oh my goodness! Wow, you are Tim Horton? No, I'm kidding. Stop! <laughs> wait a minute. I gotta, I gotta tell people how to get it. Go to our website again and uh, use the code I Miss America at checkout with Minutemen Coffee. Get 15 percent off. So. Any hoosers. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to get a little northern Midwestern on Oh, my on goodness. So, um, can you think of, and I and we might have to freestyle it here a little bit, what are some specific or any other specific differences between American and Canadian prepping that you haven't already mentioned? Uh, the first one I want to mention uh, right now is that we're basically last in line uh, as far as supply chain goes uh, when it comes to anything preparedness related. Like, mm. usually most... Uh, manufacturers that are in the United States obviously are going to satisfy the domestic U.S. market first before they start exporting anything to Canada. So whether it be guns, gunpowder, freeze-dried food, anything that's made in the state, we have not only uh, you know priority issues but cost issues as far as uh, you know import taxes, supply and demand, shipping to distant places in northern Canada. So that's a bit of a problem as far as uh, priority goes. Um, we've got left-of-center politics as an issue right now. Uh, we've always been kind of lucky compared to the states, but as you saw, Joe Biden has passed what thirty-six executive orders in the first week in office. Goodness, yes. Uh, well, okay, yeah. Welcome to our government for the last six years. That's been going on, um, and there's nothing really unusual about that for us. That's that's just every day. Um, I think our preparedness is focused a lot more on heating than it would be for you guys and staying warm uh, versus like air conditioning. And then uh, the other thing I was just going to mention here before Andrew takes over is the fact that here we still have an option of finding empty land uh, to develop, as you see fit, that's completely untouched 
ever. And our farmland is still relatively inexpensive uh, in certain places. Hmm. Good to know. I feel like Ian was reading my notes. <laughs> you sound bummed. <laughs> getting... Go ahead. You Canadians are too polite, and you don't want to interrupt. This is crazy. I mean, I feel like a New Yorker, and I'm a West Coast American. I'm nothing like, I mean, a New Yorker. Anyway, go ahead, Andrew. No, I, I don't have anything to build on what Ian said there. I feel like he was copying and pasting off my page. Mm. Oh, very good. Well, as we developed this conversation, and, and it'll be interesting, I think we'll talk about it more in the after show, too. I'm listening to you, and I'm like, America, this is a cautionary tale. Yes. This isn't just... This is more than just the differences between the two com- countries. It is a cautionary tale of what our future could be like. I don't like the idea of begging the queen's pardon and asking for something that I, by right, am able to get right now. But I don't. I feel like that right is slipping away. So on that note, we'll think about that for the after show. So gentlemen, what are some myths about Canadians on any topic? So feel free to use humor. Not just prepping, but on any topic, specifically about, I don't know, I just, th- th- we see all of the campy Canadian jokes. We've said a few even here on the show. There's those myths, but then there's, I know sometimes um, joking around like that can be like, that's not really what we're like, and I'd appreciate you stop doing that, you know, or whatever. So what are some other things that you can think of? Well, we don't live in igloos, but most of us know how to make them. Nice. So I can understand that one being a confusing point. <laughs> Does snow in most of the country, even where I live. I'm as I'm as far south. I'm further south than Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. I'm in one of the furthest southern places in Canada, and we still get a couple of feet of snow a year. But we don't actually live in igloos for the most part. <laughs> Very good. What else can you think of? Uh, well, for myself, uh, I would say not everybody knows everybody. So if you ask somebody if they know Mike from, from Canada, that's not going to happen. Um, it does happen with surprising frequency, though. <laughs> it does happen. Is that crazy? Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, of course, not every Mountie or RCMP officer is rocking around in a red surge, as we call it. They're the red outfits and with his big steps and hats and, and, you know, running around on a sled uh, with sled dogs and, and solving crimes like that. Uh, we don't always say the word a boot. I don't think boot anybody boot. does. Oot and a boot? Um, yeah, oot and a boot. Uh, and as far as the word A goes, I would say we are no different than somebody from New York, except for word placement. For example, we would say, would you like a taxi, A? And whereas down in New York, they would say, hey, you want a taxi? <laughs> so it's just a matter of, of word placement more than anything else. Well, let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room, gentlemen, and that is... Do Canadians drink a lot more than Americans? Because I'm going to tell you some stories living up by Canada. And uh, I'll, t- I'll go ahead and tell you this. the One of my first uh, memories of, of going to the Indian reservations and buying fireworks, because I would buy a lot of fireworks. I had this pyrotechnic problem early on. It should have been diagnosed pretty early. Was we'd go to the res and be buying fireworks, and it would seem like there were all these Canadians, you know, with their Canadian license plates, and and they all, I remember saying, you know, to my dad, I was like, hey, they, they all kind of smell a little funny. And it was like, what do you mean? It was booze. I mean, all these Canadians coming down to the U.S. to buy fireworks seemed half drunk. Now, maybe I'm being unfair and I don't want to cast aspersions upon an entire country. But, I mean, you got the McKinsey brothers, you know, from the 80s. And it was all about beer and all that other stuff. Do you guys drink more than Americans? 
I think well, fair assessment, but we also pay more for it. Social, <laughs> it covers our socialized medicine costs. Oh, okay. It's but medicinal. Good news is we do have a bit more alcohol percentage in our beer, so and it is better beer yeah, overall. Yeah, it's in less than five percent. It's just tap water. <laughs> <laughs> it's medicinal. It's part of their preps, right? Right. You guys drive fast too. Is that a myth? Because I I've seen it with my own eyes. I think that's a regional thing. Do you live near a 400 series highway like the 401 in Toronto? You probably drive like you're from Toronto. The rest of the country, not so much. <laughs> nice. So, okay, so we have a couple of minutes before you go into the after show. What are some stereotypes about Canadians that are true? Well, uh, we do say A a lot. Okay. <laughs> and we are polite. Yes. We, yes, you are. You know, for, for the most part, we are very friendly. That uh, is true. We do have free health care. But not necessarily good health care, timely or effective well, healthcare. Well, free is relative. You don't pay the bill when you leave the hospital. You just pay That's the right. bill for everything else you do for the rest of your life. <laughs> exactly. High taxation is a fact. I mean, we don't uh, we don't all talk funny, of course, but uh, some indeed do. We have, uh, of course, the entire province people that French is their first language. Now, on the east coast, we have some very special people called Newfoundlanders that have a special accent all of their own. Uh, very recognizable for the rest of us, uh, which is almost doesn't sound like English after a while in, in rural Newfoundland. Well, um, I can I can attest to that. I remember SCTV, which was great. It was a you know a Canadian you know comedy show in the early eighties. Had John Candy and a bunch of others started there, and they did a skit about Newfoundlanders, Newfoundlers, and I couldn't understand a word they were saying. And um, anyway, it, it is it is true. I mean, we have the American South and, and even that is discernible, you know, if you're an American. But the the Maritimes, it is it's like seesaw main lobster talk on steroids. That's true. Um, of course, it is true also that our country is relatively empty compared to the states. I mean, uh, like Andrew mentioned, most of our population is within 100 miles of the U.S. border. Uh, we do have actually more land by square uh, square miles, but we have one tenth population. So if you can imagine that it's it's very empty once you get north at a certain point in Canada. Wow. Okay. So this is uh, j- just a question because we have like one minute. What's your if you could tell an American what's the most beautiful place to if you were to tell an American to go visit? I know what I would say. Where would you t- encourage a person to go visit? Anywhere but British Columbia, because that's what everybody from British Columbia says. There's a whole other bunch of provinces. There you go. I don't say Banff, Alberta. <gasps> that's what I was going to say, too. I, I went there. Banff is great. Oh, Banff is yeah. beautiful. It's just, yes. So we have just a few minutes before we go into the after show. So, guys, where can people reach you, hear you, find out what, what you're all about? Go ahead, Andrew. Well, if you want to get some firearms training with the guns you've still got, I do that as a profession. You can get in touch with us at ragnaroktactical.ca. Or if you want to listen to and I talk Monday nights live on YouTube on Canadian Patriot Podcast and everywhere that your fine podcasts can be heard. As far as myself goes, you can find uh, my, uh, my, me and Andrew and a few other guys on Canadian Prepper Podcast on Sunday evenings at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on YouTube and Facebook Live. And uh, we're available by iTunes uh, podcast as well. Very good. And can you um, say that email address again? A little bit because it went a little fast. I want to make sure people, if they want to hear it one more time. Uh, for myself, it's uh, I guess feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And Andrew, 
feedback at CanadianPatriotPodcast.com. I think it was the training email, the training yeah. company email. Oh, our training for firearms and tactical stuff is RagnarokTactical.ca. Ragnarok, like the, uh, you know, the Thor movie or the, the Viking end of the world thing that seems to have become super popular recently. Very okay, good. And, and by the way, you heard it right, everybody. Uh, it's .ca, not .com, because it's .canada. Come on, you guys. Come on. It's Canada. There you go. <laughs> That's right. We, pay, we paid extra for one less character. <laughs> we pay extra for everything, as we're finding out. So I guess I, I'm just going to reflect here, because I have some time for once to like stop for a moment and breathe before we have to cut you off and, and, and go after the after show. But folks, I listened to this, and like I said earlier, I this is a cautionary tale. I don't want to have to ask government permission for things. And we in America have this Bill of Rights and our constitutional rights that give it to us because we are built in the image of God. Not We, we get those rights from God, not from government. And those we need to keep, continue to hold near and dear to our heart our hearts and fight back on them when government tries to usurp that power. Folks, remember, as Benjamin Franklin said, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. Hope you all have a great week. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.